Welcome to the Hurricane Center podcast, produced by the Storm Science Network and part of the National Tropical Weather Conference. This podcast is made possible by USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylock's Hurricane Clips. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we've had our guest today. We've had uh, numerous times, both in person down at uh, South Padre, where uh, we all enjoy going back to next year, I hope. And uh, on our show, I think last year, Tim, we had had you here to, to uh, showcase some of what you're working on. Uh, for those that don't know, Tim Heller was a had a long and uh, successful career as an on-camera meteorologist, culminating in his chief meteorologist uh, duties for quite some time at KTRK Channel 13 uh, here in Houston. I always enjoyed watching Tim's uh, presentations of the weather, and uh, I don't think I ever gave you a call complaining about something that didn't make sense, did I? No, you didn't. <laughs> so uh, Tim decided to go in a slightly different direction, but to, to use his knowledge base from experience and go into uh, consulting where he uh, coaches uh, people in the media business and, and works on other uh, breaking technology and how to use it. And I think that's what Tim's going to talk about today. So Tim, all yours. All right. Thank you, Bill. And thanks uh, to Tim and Alex for inviting me to participate here today, because I, I think this is an important conversation for us to have. We talk a lot about in our conferences, we talk about, you know, the video we shoot, we talk about, um, you know, the structure of our weather cast, but we don't spend a lot of time actually talking about the art and science of visualizing the weather, the graphics that we produce, because weather visualization is really data visualization. And what's happened over the last 10 years, 15 years, is that our vendors are giving us access to more and more and more data. And we are putting more and more data on the air, but it's not always presented in a way that connects with the viewer, that delivers the essential message. And what I've discovered is that we're using, we tend to use some of the default color tables that are made available to us by our vendors, but those color tables aren't necessarily some of the best color tables to use. Several years ago, when I first started at ABC 13, I was looking for a way to differentiate our tropical weather coverage because everybody was using the same satellite imagery. We all had the same base maps. The only thing that made a difference between one station and the next was the banner. And so because we're a, a station that covers the tropics a lot, I decided to, to make my own color enhanced color table. And to, I'll be honest with you, initially my motivation here was simply to make something that looked different than my competition, that if people saw uh, our enhanced satellite picture, they would immediately subconsciously connect with our station. That was my goal. But what I ended up with was actually a color table after several tweaks, a color table that actually emphasized some of the colder cloud tops, some of the thicker clouds on the enhanced satellite picture, especially when you added some texturing and some, some extrusion to the actual clouds. So my goal was to create something that was different. And in the end, I created something that was better. And we played around with several different color tables and different products over the years, but this was the most striking different uh, table that we used consistently. And I'm proud to say that they're actually still using this. It was a, an image that was tweeted by Travis Herzog during Hurricane Ida. And it was actually during that storm that I was reminded of uh, uh, the problem with uh, the color and or the uh, the color tables that we're using with the data, because I realized while watching uh, Hurricane Ida coverage, both on air and online, that many of the graphics that we are using are all this rainbow color table. Technically, it's the reverse rainbow color table because it doesn't start with red. It usually starts with shades of blue and green. Sometimes blue, sometimes green. The problem is when you use 
when all the data uses the same color table, all the data starts to look the same. And the problem is, is that the color tables aren't used consistently. A lot of times there's more colors on the lower end of the scale than there is on the upper end of the scale. There's, sometimes there's multiple shades of orange. Sometimes there's one shade of orange. Sometimes there's red and dark red and purple. Sometimes there's just red to pink. So there's no consistent use of the color table. It's not a color table that we intuitively know. We recognize it. But in some cultures, the colors don't even make sense. Uh, they do for most people in the United States. But... There's a small percentage of the cult of cultures uh, that just that don't understand this co reverse color table that we seem to use. Furthermore, eight percent of the population for eight percent of the population, all of these maps look like this. Eight percent of the population is colorblind, and that colorblindness usually affects the shades of green and red. Meaning, shades of green look like, look like shades of red. And when you have problems differentiating between those two colors and those two colors tend to represent both the lowest and the highest levels, we are not communicating effectively when we use the reverse rainbow color table. And that's not just a problem for broadcast meteorologists. There's inconsistency within the National Weather Service. Just last week, there was one tweet that came out of the Norman National Weather Service office. The first graphic used the typical, the standard uh, severe risk probability graphics with green, yellow, orange, red, and purple or pink. And then the next graphic in the sequence actually had three different colors, but it took a while to kind of figure out what it is that they're using here. It's actually using three different colors to break up the area when a dotted line or a solid line would have actually worked just as well. But the, we've kind of trained people that we're using colors to differentiate different levels. And then we get to a map where the colors are simply used to differentiate different types. And it requires, uh, it requires some time to decipher exactly what it is that we're looking at. Then you have another tornado potential map. And this one uses the color blue for low and then tops out at red. The exact same tweet had another map that showed the color green is the lowest level and added pink on the upper level. So there's inconsistency in terms of the colors. There's inconsistency in terms of the application. And these general colors, the general colors, are used all the time to the point where they can be confusing when you're starting to mix different data types. Uh, here's another example, another tweet from the Weather Service. Is it a tornado warning, severe thunderstorm warning, flash flood warning? I don't know. There's a warning, some type of warning. And the impacts are significantly different between a tornado warning, severe thunderstorm warning, and a flash flood warning. Significantly different, yet these are all colored the same. Uh, I'm sure there's a reason behind that, but when you're using the same color on different graphics or the same color scale, the color range, the rainbow color scale, uh, it tends to be confusing for the viewer. And it takes time for them to decipher the information in other words, when they look at a graphic, they have to look at the legend, they have to look at the color, they have to match up where they are within that map. And the amount of time that it takes them to decipher the, that information, the less time that they are spending listening to you and figuring out what they should be doing as a result of the impacts of that weather. We talk a lot about this when I do uh, when I coach a broadcast meteorologist. It's most of my coaching is based on the fundamentals of effective weather communication, a concept I uh, originally presented at the AMS conference several years ago. Meteorology obviously has to be first. We got to make sure that that forecast is accurate. But before we sit down and start looking at the graphics, I always recommend that we spend some time talking about the message. And that's the producing part of the weather. It's not creating graphics. It's figuring out what you want in the meteorology, what you want to say. 
And then we talk about delivering the message in a way that connects with the viewers, both on an emotional and an intellectual level, whole brain communication. And that is the marketing, the delivering of that weather. Not about self-promotion. It's not about sponsorship. It's not about advertising. Marketing, in this case, refers to serving the viewer, taking the weather, building weather awareness and creating brand loyalty as a result. And you do that differently on whatever platform you're on. The way that you deliver the weather on air is going to be different than online because one's live, one's recorded. The way that you deliver the weather on Twitter is different than Facebook, than different than, than Instagram, than different than any other platform that you have to be on. But the meteorology, the message, and the marketing are the three Basically, the three jobs of a broadcast meteorologist, and we're talking about weather visualization, we're talking about the marketing aspect. How are we taking this information and communicating it on all these different platforms, and specifically the colors we're using to communicate and to deliver that information? So weather visualization is data visualization. If you want to do some research on it, look up the term data visualization, because nobody's calling it weather visualization. It is basically a graphic representation of the data. It's a way to make the data accessible so that the viewers, our consumers, our followers understand the trends, the patterns, and the outliers in that data. When you think about it, when we add color contours to a map, and, and I would argue that too many of our weathercasts are made up of rainbow colored maps filled with numbers, map after map after map after map after map. Why are we using the colors? The colors are there to help the viewer understand the numbers, to understand the pattern, be it a pattern of wind, where the winds are going to be strongest, or how the rainfall is going to lay out across the area, as well as the outliers. What are the lowest levels? What are the upper levels? And it can be, if used correctly, an effective way to communicate essential information. Back to Hurricane Ida, I was sitting in my living room, went back when Houston was kind of in the initial one in the initial tracks of the storm. And I was watching some of the local stations as well as some other stations all streaming live. And my wife walks into the room and she looks up at the TV and watches for a few minutes. She leaves the room. She comes back about 10 to 15 minutes later, same station, looks up and she goes, okay, I'm confused. Is the storm getting worse or what, what's happening here? I said, no, it's just different data, but it's the same colors. And that, that triggered this whole discussion and uh, triggered an article that I wrote and posted on my website that actually became one of the most read so far of, of what's on my website. And I realized, okay, this is, this is something that we all need to be talking about. And so that's kind of what started this whole conversation for me. And it's a conversation I'm inviting you to participate with as well. So I started playing around. I've got a Mac computer here in my office and I started playing around and Data visualization, when you research it, consists generally of maps, charts, and graphs. Well, I realized that that's what we do. We create a lot of maps, we create some charts, and we create a lot of graphs. And we create each of these using the exact same colors. And you could argue that red always represents the upper levels, the worst condition, but that's not always the case. And I'll go back to that if you're using the same colors over and over and over, it takes time for the viewer to the consumer to decipher what you're showing them. And when you've got a hurricane that's a couple of days away, there's no time to be sitting there and trying to figure out what the broadcast meteorologist is trying to say to you. It's our job to make that information accessible to the viewers. And I'll go back and say that these charts with the green and the red combined together do not make sense to people who are colorblind. So I started some experimentation or started looking for some research, if you will. Uh, there's very little research on this, which tells me that we need to be doing more. 
Uh, back in 2014, National Weather Association published in the Journal of Operational Meteorology a study that was conducted by Mississippi State University. I'll tell you, first of all, this is a small study. It involved mainly college students and involved mainly the use of uh, colors, rainbow colors on radar maps. But there's some interesting takeaways from this small study that, if anything else, points to the fact that we need to do more study. And one thing that they've noticed is that the use of rainbow colors is not consistently applied from map to map. That the shades of green on one map might indicate different shades of uh, different intensities on another map. They are also not understood by everyone. Um, the, the, the whole Roy Jabiv, the colors of the rainbow, we learned that. We had to be taught that back in first grade or kindergarten, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Uh, but what we use on the air, is the reverse of that. We start with the green. So it's we're using the rainbow. We're not using the real rainbow, if you will. Uh, and again, they're not, the colors aren't understood with everyone, especially if you're colorblind. And it almost always requires a legend, which increases the processing time for the consumer. It, they have to look at the legend, look at the location, look at the number, look back at the legend. And we see these graphics for several minutes while we're making them. We created the graphics, so we're used to what the data is reading. The viewer's seeing this for 10, 15 seconds, if even that. So you almost always have to have a legend on it, and that legend slows down the processing time that it takes for the consumer to decipher the information. And the, the final result of the study is that a monochromatic scale using one color, shades of one color, is more intuitive to understand than a rainbow color scale. So I decided to play with this. Fired up my Mac's computer nearing IDA, started downloading some data <clears throat> and making some maps. Used the built-in color scale to show potential rainfall. What I immediately noticed of this and was reminded of this because this is something that caught my attention during Harvey when we were forecasting 40 inches of rain, uh, is that there's a lot of color differentiation on the lower end between a quarter of an inch and a half an inch and an inch of rain. But the impacts of a quarter of an inch and a half an inch are pretty much the same. Where the greatest impacts occur are on the upper ends, but there's very little color shading on the upper ends of some of these scales. They get lumped together as one big color. And in this case, anything above 12 inches or 10 inches gets the color yellow, which by the way, that's another thing. Studies show that the color yellow stands out more than any other color. And in many cases, that's the lowest level. But look at this color scale. You need a legend in order to understand this, because in this case, we actually have mixed up the color scale and it doesn't go from blue to green to yellow. We've stuck in purple and red and yellow is actually at the highest end where red normally is. So it's confusing if you're used to seeing that rainbow color scale. You need a legend in order to understand it. Or you use monochromatic colors. One color, different shades. And immediately you can see where the heaviest rain is because that's why we're using the color, right? Yeah, it's not as pretty, but this isn't about art appreciation. This is about science communication. One color immediately stands out where the heaviest rain is going to be. Draws your eye to the darker color and you immediately see the 15.33 inches of rain. You also immediately can tell where the lightest rain is going to fall. So this works. You may not like the colors and that's fine but the monochromatic scale works. Here's another example, potential wind gusts. In this case, blue, not green, represents the lowest values. And it's very clear, we can see where the eyewall is coming ashore, but you almost need a legend here in order to understand all the different shades. Or 
use one color. In this case, one color, monochromatic. Again, the eye wall stands out. Your eye immediately goes to those areas that are going to have the strongest winds. At the same time, you can identify the outliers where the winds are going to be much lighter. Monochromatic scale works for wind gusts. No legend required in this case, at least not on the monochromatic side. Here's peak storm surge. This is not data that's downloaded. This is a graphic that I, I created. But I used the colors that were being used by the Weather Channel at the time, and when I saw many different stations using the same colors. So I used the same color scale for that. But in this case, there's no green. Here we have blue at the lowest level. And then there's some of this mysterious purple color over Lake Pontchartrain that doesn't match anything else. Well, if you use a monochromatic scale, and in this case, I used the purple shades of purple that matched NHC's storm surge graphic. Um, Again, keeping the colors consistent, they're using purple for storm surge. Here I'm using purple for storm surge, at least the same shades of that. And it's very easy to see where the highest storm surge is going to be. Don't need a legend on this. I got the numbers right there. I got the colors right there. The colors pull my eye into those areas that are the heaviest. So I thought, okay, can I do this with other graphics? Now, this graphic here from First Alert Weather from uh, uh, Jacks in Florida is not from Ida. It's just one I happen to collect because I've got a whole library of graphics that I've collected over the years. And this uses the typical uh, reverse rainbow color scale. Notice we got some extra shades toward uh, the upper end, some shades of pink in there. And I thought, well, can I recreate this graphic without using the rainbow colors? And the answer is yes. Again, not as pretty, but it's very simple. And you immediately know that your greatest risk here is flooding and tornado. And you know immediately when that's going to occur. And I don't need a legend. I don't need to help and a legend to help you decipher that information. It's very clear. This works on air. It works online. It works on social media. Obviously, you're going to add text to it. You're going to verbally describe it when you put it on the air. But somebody looking at this doesn't have to figure out because I've eliminated all the lower colors and I'm using color shading here. And by the way, that graphic was built using a um, um, color separated table or a, a CSV file built with Google Sheets. Very quick, very easy to create that graphic, probably quicker than it was to create the one on the left. So my recommendations are that if you're going to use color shading, there's some things that you should do. First of all, my recommendation is assign specific colors to each data type. That every time you talk about rain or flooding, maybe you use the color green. Every time you talk about storm surge, use the color purples for watches, for warnings, for data. And that way, subliminally, the viewer starts to connect that color with the impact, the effect. Uh, here, I used orange for wind gust, for example. You could create that. You could use that same map that's in the upper right-hand corner, the uh, tropical impacts. You could actually use the, the colors, the green, the orange, and the purple there um, in, in that graphic as well to show the intensity or when the greatest risk of impact is. Um, applying the color scale consistently, that you use the same color across graphics, watches, warnings. Uh, there are some cases where I do think that the rainbow color scale works best, and that's going to be radar, mainly because the viewers are used to seeing that color scale. But my recommendation is don't use the colors green on the lowest levels, use the colors blue. And by the way, I'm actually doing the study right now. I've got some people who are colorblind that I'm testing some maps with them. And we'll be writing a follow-up to all of this, specifically focused on colorblind weather maps um, sometime in the future. There's a, a subreddit group called slash colorblind. And there's a comment on there that has had, I think, 100% upvotes. And the comment is simply, weather maps are the worst. 
weather, I think it's weather maps on TV are the worst understanding weather maps on TV. And it is because we use the right colors. Somebody mentioned on Facebook the other day that the new weather app on uh, your iPhone uses purple to yellow on the radar. And Apple's a couple of years ago bought dark sky, which uses purple to yellow. Guess what? Those work for every type of color blindness, every type of color blindness. And there are some, uh, tools that you can use to actually check to see what your graphics look like uh, for people that are colorblind. And that scale, that purple to yellow, works for every type of colorblindness, as well as people that aren't colorblind. Um, and finally, I recommend avoid using a legend. I realized that, and I was on the CBM board and we harped on people uh, to use a legend, but I also think that it's become a crutch. And I think you need to use the legend when the colors are confusing. Radar obviously needs a legend because you got a lot of colors that represent different things. And, but with the monochromatic scale, you don't necessarily need the legend, especially if you've got numbers overlaid on top of that data. If you don't have numbers, obviously you need to have a legend that shows what those different colors mean. But I would recommend actually putting the numbers on the map above the color scale or above the color contours, if you will. Uh, and then one more thing about the, the monochromatic scale. Rather than having 256 shades, I've got this broken down into 10 different colors. So it's a very simple color scale. Again, not necessarily the prettiest, but it certainly communicates the science a whole lot better. So my recommendations going forward, I'd love to have you part of this conversation. Uh, research data visualization. That's the term that you need to look for. Experiment with different color scales and color shades. What works better? Uh, 10 layers, 12 layers. Uh, on Facebook, somebody mentioned to me, well, what happens if you, you know, uh, the viewer sees that the lowest level is, is one particular shade of green, and then that shade of green is used for a different, on a different map. Well, it gets back to, you got to be consistent with your use of the color scales. Create your own. I know we don't have time. I know, I know we don't have any more time, but you're, you're spending time creating these graphics that you're going to use over and over and over. I really encourage you to spend some time playing with the color tables looking at the data and tweaking it. I, I played with that color enhanced satellite a long time before I was happy with it and before I thought that it actually communicated uh, better information. And again, my goal was different, but I ended up making it better. Um, and then I encourage you to share your ideas, share what you've come up with with the greater weather community. This is a conversation I think we all need to be having not just as broadcast meteorologists, but hopefully within the, the wider weather community. Researchers, if you look at some of the studies that are available online, uh, people that are doing scientific research, they're stepping away from that rainbow color scale. And many of them are using monochromatic maps or they'll use two colors, shades of two colors at the most to show divergence within the data. And you know, look at some of the research that's online for things that aren't necessarily weather related to get some ideas of what colors work for different types of uh, events. Uh, here's an example. Some of us um, saw this is not a rain, an, an example of a rainbow color table, but an example of somebody sharing what they've learned. This is from Rob Elvington. It was posted on the uh, Broadcast Meteorology Facebook page. This is actually three different satellite pictures that Rob has created three custom color tables for showing the low level and mid-levels and, and another color table that's meant to highlight where there was a fire that was creating smoke across part of his viewing area. This took a lot of time, I'm sure, for him to, to create. But now that he's got it, he can use it over and over and over. And so it's a great graphic. It's a great example of somebody that's using uh, the color table creatively, not just taking what was built into the system, but actually uh, 
working with some of the colors to create something that tells a better story, that delivers an essential message to his viewers. That QR code there on the left, if you snap it with your camera or your, or your phone, will take you to the article that I wrote about the overused uh, rainbow color scale. Uh, it'll take you to the article. And within that article, there is links to a, a site called Color Brew, Brewer, which will help you create monochromatic and two color color scales. And you can have it, I think it's up to nine different colors, but it's a great place to start. It gives you the actual RGB level so you can create your own color scales. There's also links within that article so that you can uh, test your graphics. You actually take one of your graphics, you upload it to the website, and you test what the graphic looks like for people who are colorblind. And I'm telling you, you will be shocked at how difficult it is to read a close-up view of the radar when it uses the shades of green and the shades of yellow and red together. If you replace those green shades with shades of blue, it really clears up a lot of the confusion for people who are colorblind. That's my email. If you want to continue the conversation there, my website as well, but I'd be happy to have you part of this discussion because I think I don't pretend that these colors that I showed you are the best. I don't pretend that this is the, 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 this is the solution to the problem, but I do think that this is a conversation we all need to be having and I invite you to be part of that. I better help. I bet this is a time for me to call for another uh, spot ad, right, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. No, we'll be right. We made USAA insurance for members like Kate, a former Army medic made of the flexibility to handle whatever Monday has in store and tackle four things at once. So when her car got hit, she didn't worry. She simply filed a claim on her USAA app and said, I've got this. USAA Insurance has made the way Kate needs it. Easy. She can even pick her payment plan, so it's easy on her budget and her life. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Hello, I'm Haskell Moore, and I've been teaching disaster preparedness for over 20 years. And one thing I can assure you is in an emergency situation, the difference between life and death may be a rugged, reliable flashlight. That's why I recommend the Maglite ML300L 4D cell LED long-running flashlight. This light's capable of producing over a thousand lumens and casting a beam over 500 yards, yet in eco mode will run for over two weeks continuous on one set of batteries. And if you act now, enter discount code NTWC, that's NTWC, for National Tropical Weather Conference on the Maglite website, you'll get 20% off everything on the website. That's NTWC on the Maglite.com website. Get yours today. Okay. Alrighty, Tim, uh, we're back here. Uh, man, that was great stuff. And uh, the, uh, resonated really well on the colorblind thing. Uh, I'm not sure uh, you're probably aware of this, but uh, when the uh, ADHD radars were developed, there was, there is a, uh, a, uh, a color table for use for, uh, for uh, forecasters that are colorblind. Wow. And it was the purples to yellows. Wow. We had three people at the at the HGX office, Gene Haffel uh, among them, you know, uh, and we, whenever there was a severe weather event, you just plug in your color table for that. 
And I kept arguing, why don't we, it, it works for me and I'm not colorblind. Why don't we just use that instead? And I think it's a, a I don't know, I guess historically when colors first started getting used, uh, the meteorologists were enamored with the red-green uh, schematic on that. Yeah, so I do think about your wow, you hadn't heard that before. That is great. I had not I had not heard that. But um, but yeah, the question would be, well, if you're using it internally, certainly some external customers might find that useful too. Yeah. The, on the monochromatic, uh, uh, I... I, I uh, use a, a private site to get my weather model stuff and they're big on monochromatic but the, the problem is there's no numbers on the graphic it's right. all in the legend and they, and they use such a, a high granularity on the on their their gridding there i have no idea what the values are it drives me nuts and i've commented on them so it's an advantage i guess you have in the broadcast wor world is that you're you, you can put those nice big font numbers in there that uh it doesn't require the user to go hunting for what the value is. Yeah. And that's, you know, any, and, and every graphic is going to be different. Every data set is going to be different. depends on what you have on it, but you, but being cognizant, being aware that using, especially 256 shades of the same color doesn't help. That is, that's not fixing the problem. That's making it more difficult. Uh, I want to mention, Bill, you talked about the, um, um, next round the 88ds you know that's the curious thing about velocity data is that it used shades and the typical color table shades of red and green well that doesn't that doesn't work for people colorblind but if you use the shades of red and blue you can still see the couplets and they still stand out just as well as the shades of green but they're accessible then to everyone yeah and uh if i if i can find an old example of the purple yellow uh on a team, oh yeah please share really it, it jumps out to me. It jumps out better than the red and green, and I have no problem with the red and green. Uh, messaging. Uh, I, I have this sneaking suspicion there's there's serious uh, generational differences on how people interpret the messaging. Have you run into uh, any thoughts on that or, or how to fix that or get around that, I guess? Can you be more specific? I'm not sure I follow the question. Okay, people, people my age are used to uh, 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 interpreting weather type information at a very different uh, level than say the, the our grandkids that are coming up now. So what what a message that would work for me probably wouldn't work so well for my granddaughter. I think ultimately, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, you have to think of your message always has to resonate um, with as many people as possible. Um, we have the advantage of broadcasters that we do multiple hits. You know, we're doing multiple hits. We're doing multiple posts on social media. And that gives us an opportunity to actually change our message slightly so that it resonates with different groups of people as well. Um, visually, I mean, you have, it, it, there is some trial and error involved. And, you know, these days we have access to a focus group in terms of social media that if our message is not clear, we know it immediately because people are asking where are the questions coming from? Um, it's not just, should I evacuate Katie? It's a little bit, sometimes a little bit more deep than that. And, um, and when those people are asking questions, obviously they're not getting the message somehow. And it may be that we have to tweak the wording. It might be that we have to tweak the colors, but I, I you know, this is, this is a, a moving target that we're always trying to hit and it changes with the storm. It changes with the day, it changes with the weather. Fascinating. Uh, in your, your, your experience, uh, 
uh, our uh, the, the younger people as a fresh coming out of uh, broadcast meteorology school uh, are they getting trained in this concept or is this something that that uh, hasn't been built into the curriculum yet i don't think it's necessarily been built into the curriculum um what i've experienced is that within the tv weather centers right now there are actually two different groups of people you have the old guys the old folks like us uh who uh understand tv we grew up watching tv we grew up with tv and we can create good tv we know how to do that part where we struggle is figuring out how do we program the ott the over the 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 digital uh, channel how do we uh post effectively on social media you got the younger meteorologists that are coming in and they know social media. They, they get it. They understand it. Uh, they know what works well on digital platforms and where they're struggling is on the TV side. How do I take all of this meteorology and edit it down into a two and a half minute weathercast that communicates exactly what I need the message to be. And, you know, and so it's, th- that's part of the reason why I got into coaching because I saw that there was this, 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 difference within the weather center. And quite honestly, as a chief meteorologist, I didn't have much time to train the rest of my staff. I had my own shows to cover. So I I saw there was a need and that's why I went into it is to help not only with the messaging, but the delivering or what I call the marketing of that message making and how we connect with viewers. Uh, Are we just putting the data out there? Are we actually putting data out there that they can understand that they can, that is actionable when pot, when necessary, that it gets people to actually take action and to protect themselves. Great stuff. I don't want to hog the conversation. Yeah. Get the other Tim in here. He, he probably knows what questions you ought to ask. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. And, 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 and Tim, I appreciate the info because it really is good. And I think the, the generation gap is an important point um, because there's no doubt that it's there. I see it. And we, we all see this in the industry, you know, you showed the the graphic or the image that showed all the almost 10 different ways of presenting the same, the same data, you know, 10 different stations are going to show the exact same data, 10 different ways. And years ago, the national hurricane center really pushed hard for a consistent message with the hurricane forecast. Let's all present the same message. Cause before that, you know, you'd say one thing, I'd say something else. AccuWeather would say something. And then the hurricane center's message is kind of mixed in. Do you think that, that we'll ever get to a point where we'll see the, a consistent, the forecast may not be identical, but, but a consistent presentation in, in terms of using colors that make sense, you know? No, so if you, you see 10 different stations, you'll see, still see 10 different messages. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I know that that's a, a bigger factor in some markets, especially in Oklahoma, when it comes to severe weather, that everybody there has got their own scale. Um, and, and that's been widely discussed on social media. It's like, and every, every station thinks that they've got the best scale, you know, that's doing best thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know, is there such a thing as perfect communication? Probably not. But if, as long as we continue the discussion, I think that we get better with time. And I guarantee you that if one station in market, let me just say this, if you want to really stand out, start using monochromatic data, yeah. you know, and advertise to viewers, tell viewers, this is why we're changing our maps. We're making it easier for you to understand. These colors are work for people that are colorblind. They work for everybody. It makes the data stand out. Make a deal out of it. Tell your viewers, we're doing this to serve you better. Start, one station does that, and I guarantee you the rest of them will start to follow. Uh, At least they'll start to tweak some of the data. Um, We may end up with different colors again, you know, and it may be end up in a bigger mess. I don't know, but, you know, we, we have to start 
somewhere. And I think that's an important discussion to have. And then once we figure out that we need to fix the colors and we need to fix some of the messaging, um, maybe we can come together collectively and, you know, work together in what the weather service calls an integrated team, an integrated warning team. So then when we present something, everybody's presenting the same basic message, even though we've got our different ways of doing it. Right. I like that. A couple of good questions from online. The first, and I'll just read it because it's easier that way. Uh, what are your thoughts on the color psychology behind using red for danger, green for good? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, clearly it's not good for folks who are colorblind, but uh, it's, it's all color psychology. We've been trained to know that red is bad, you know? Right. right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think the, that works in terms of indexing, you know, uh, are we low? Are we a medium? Or are we high? You still have to be careful with the, the, the colors. And I do want to clarify a little bit in the research that I've done on the colorblindness. It's particular shades of green and red. And it's when you have these ranges of red and ranges of green that becomes confusing for people who are colorblind because some of those shades are going to look exactly the same. But if you there are particular, you can find a particular shade of red. It's not ideal, but you can use it that level. And you can find a particular shade of green that works. Or uh, as some of the research shows, you can actually use kind of like a greenish yellow um, and the lower end and then shade to a particular shade of red. So there are some some index, what I'll call indexing scales out there, green, good, bad, red, um, that work for colorblindness. Um, but does it work for every sort of data? I don't think so. Good. Yeah, and then also indeed, the, the same person is asking, when you see a map that's got shades of green, you're just going to assume that, well, that's not not so bad, even though that might be indicating severe flooding because that darker shade of green is severe. And when you see a map that's shades of red, you're just going to assume whatever it is, it must be terrible. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's a good point that, you know, are we communicating? I, I think what the person's indicating there, combining those two questions together, that if we're trained to think that green is ba- good and red is bad, that the, the flooding in green is not necessarily uh, going to be bad when in fact it is, uh, you're right. But it, it, I still think that you, that you, it's part of the message that we're communicating and why are we using the color? It's to, to emphasize, and we have to explain it to the viewer, you know, shades of green here show you the depth of the rain or the depth of water or the amount of flooding that could happen. Um, so there is still some, you know, some training that goes here, but are you using, the question I would ask is, are you using the same color scale? If you're using the rainbow scale, does the moderate level line up in flooding with the moderate risk of tornado and the moderate risk of wind? And that's, and usually not. And that's the problem with those color scales is that the, the color scales are not applied consistently across different data types either. One of the other things we're hearing, I'm sorry, my monitor just all went away for a second, but we're back. One of the things that we're hearing a lot lately is is getting away from the data dumps. You know, less and less data, more and more text graphics. Tell people what's going to happen, plain and simple, and give them what you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, and, and using, you know, colors to do that can also be a fascinating way to do things. Well, and it really, and it changes up the look of your weathercast. I mean, one of the exercises that I do with my coaching clients is I tell them to take their weather hit and, you know, use the uh, thumbnails and to look at all the thumbnails and to just look at the thumbnails. Do we have balance and variety within that hit? Are we filled with multiple maps that show multiple versions of the same colors uh, and using different data? Or do we have too many color contours and not enough maps that simply 
spell out exactly what's going to happen. Can we break it up with a graph? Can we break it up with a, a bar graph or a line graph or a simple text graphic or, you know, one of the other many graphics we have, but we look for variety and balance. Do we have a variety of maps within the hit? Is there balance? Or do we have too much of the other? I, when I was on the air, I kind of, I, I challenged myself because I realized looking at my own thumbnails there that I had so many color contours in my hit. I mean, it was just map after map after map. And I thought, you know, after a while, and it might have even happened on air where I was kind of looking at it. I kind of, I, I kind of confused myself. I wasn't sure. Wait a minute. It's the highs tomorrow or the highs the next day or the highs the day after. And I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. If I'm confused, the viewer's going to be confused. So, uh, you know, I, I started the habit myself of actually looking at my thumbnails to make sure that I had some balance in there. And I would only use, um, you know, give myself the, uh, permission to use one, maybe two sets. And it might be like tonight's lows, tomorrow's highs, whatever, but it might two sets of color contours. Uh, same thing. I, I limit myself where I wasn't using multiple maps of that showed, uh, fronts and low pressure and high pressure. I'd limit myself to one, maybe two. Uh, and when you do that, when you kind of put these personal limitations on yourself, it kind of forces you to be a little bit more creative in your storytelling. I'd say you're going to do that every day, but it's just, you know, just kind of pushing yourself to be a little bit more creative. I think one of the things that's changed too, is that we all have big TVs now, right? Which, you know, we used to have a TV the size of this computer screen and, and you could pretty easily take in everything on the screen with one view, but now you're looking up there, you're looking over there, you're looking over there, you look, you know, as a viewer. And if so, when you've got a legend and I like the idea of eliminating the legends, because when you've got a legend, it's up on the top of the screen, but the data is down here on a big screen TV that's up there and down right. there. Right. And you're like being at the movie theater, trying to keep up with everything. Yes. And, and so less is more in that case, because you don't have to agree. And you don't, you know, that, like you said, that graph's only on there for 10 seconds. I agree. And getting back to Bill's point from earlier, these beautiful LED TVs, man, those colors jump off the screen. And so you're, you're literally, I mean, you're assaulting the viewer with color over and over and over. And, you know, Bill had mentioned to us, I think it was during the commercial break that the, the colors I was using in these examples are very soft, very pastel. They're very pleasing and easy on the eye. They don't knock you out of your chair when they come up on the TV on a 65 inch TV. Furthermore, they still work on a four and a half inch screen. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, and it's funny, maybe, and that's the thing, Tim, I know you've heard this, you know, when you're on television on a regular basis that, you know, there's two year olds who, you know, don't notice the TV until the weather comes on yeah. and boom, they gravitate and they just love to watch you. Well, it's not me that are watching you. They're, they're just the bright colors that's drawn. Right. Us. We got some great yeah. two year old fans who have no idea what we're talking about. You know, and those and, and those colors when you use the, the kind of getting back to the, the smartphone here is when you use all these rainbow color scales, they're even more difficult sometimes to differentiate from one map to the other when you're looking at them on a tiny little screen. Uh, whereas, you know, the and I did test these the maps that I made on a little screen and, and the numbers still pop off um, because the point is not the color. The point is actually to show the pattern um, to show where the greatest risk is in this case when we're talking about the tropical storm. Or the hurricane. Good stuff. Good stuff. Bill, you've been sitting quietly for a while. You have something else before we go to break? Uh, no, this is all very good. I'm, uh, uh, I'm kind of a lightweight on on the on graphics and color and all that. I grew up in the black and white world, so <laughs> <laughs> I retired before we really got pushing in the in the in the being creative in the color world. So I don't have a whole lot to add. I just I think I think you're onto a really good idea here, though, Tim. I really do. 
You know, it's funny, Bill, you talk about that. The first station I worked at, you know, we, the station had no money and I worked on a live line one color graphics system for those of you that wow. have been in the business. Okay. So it was the first generation of color graphics and the TV I had in my office was this tiny little black and white set. And I realized one time that the map, some of the maps I was making, you couldn't read them on the little, they couldn't tell what the colors were on the little black and white set. So there was a, a setting on our monitor on the computer screen where we could switch over to black and white. And so back on the, my early days, 35 years ago, I was actually testing my graphics to make sure that they worked in black and white and color. Uh, nowadays, we need to do the same thing, I think, between smartphone, widescreen, color blindness, all of that. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. And we had, you know, one of the enterprise five color radar, five, five colors. <laughs> you know, maybe that wasn't such a bad thing, you know? And I, so, right. right. It matched the VIP levels on the old radar. One five. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's exactly right. We were channel five. So that worked out really well. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, so that was the original, you know, it wasn't 24 super Doppler, blah, blah, blah. You know? Right. So, <laughs> So why don't we take one more break? We come back, we'll wrap up. Uh, you're watching NTWC Live. Our guest today is Tim Howard. We'll be right back. Blackmagic Design's A10 Streaming Bridge is a video converter that lets users receive an H.264 stream from any A10 Mini Pro or A10 Mini Extreme switcher and convert it back to SDI and HDMI video. This means users can send video to remote locations around their local Ethernet network or via the Internet globally. ATEM Streaming Bridge is the perfect way to use ATEM Mini Pro or ATEM Mini Extreme as a remote broadcast studio. ATEM Streaming Bridge is available for $245 from Blackmagic Design resellers worldwide. For more information, visit blackmagicdesign.com. We make USAA insurance for renters who make the most of their space and money. That's why we make it easy to cover the stuff you love for as little as 33 cents a day. USAA, what you're made of, we're made for. Beach lovers know it. Fishermen and water lovers know it. Little kids and big kids know it. Sandcastle builders, free spirits, and adventure seekers know it. Everyone who's ever been here knows it. South Padre Island is so fun, so perfect, and most of all, so Padre. Plan your escape at SoPadre.com. We're back at uh, NTWC Live on the 20th day of October, uh, along with Bill Reed. Tim Heller's with us today. We're talking about uh, trying to, to make the television weather presentation more understandable, I think. Make it so that, that a viewer can look at it and grasp it, Tim, in, in just a few seconds, because I think you made a really good point. Um, we as a broadcast meteorologist spend half the day building these graphics very specific and, okay, this is going to look really good. Wait, tweak this, move this over here, tweak that. But, you know, it, we understand it because we've looked at it for 30 minutes. Right. The viewer gets 10 seconds, and simplifying that is really important. Absolutely. You know, it's about making it understandable, but also making it accessible. Are we using fonts that are big enough for every viewer to read, be it a four and a half inch smartphone screen or a 65 inch television? Are we using colors that overpower the data or in some cases uh, communicate what we're not intending to communicate? So I think this is we have to look at everything. We look at the, the, the numbers, we look at the graphic style, we look at the map view, we look at whether it's cluttered and we look at specifically the colors we're using. Is there variety and balance? 
And I, my theory is, is that I think we can communicate more better. And this has shown up in some science that monochromatic scales in some cases will communicate better than that rainbow color scale that we love. <laughs> we do. And, and we've been taught to use everything. We've got a gazillion colors, use them all. And, mm-hmm. and maybe that's not the answer. Don't, don't use everything you've got. Bill, uh, any more thoughts today? This has been really interesting, I think. No, but the, I think we've covered everything that, that I had looking at there. So we'll, we'll uh, soldier on and come up with better examples. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, thank you. A, a great thank program you. today. Really appreciate it. And uh, I think there's a good takeaway for everybody and folks will be watching this. Some watching live, some will be watching it later on. So you may see some questions pop up and we'll pass them on to you if they do. So you can answer those. So we appreciate you being part of the program today and look forward to seeing you hopefully in person. Yes. In April. yes. I sent Alex an email. Yes, confirmed. And by then I'll have some more examples to show you of uh, um, and there's some actually some other types of data I've been playing with, not just in terms of the of color scale, but even in terms of the style of the forecast track that we're showing from NHC. Is there different ways to present that that might be a little more effective? Just something to get us thinking about the visualization of weather. That's the important thing. Let's just get us thinking. Bill, I checked. There are officially no creeks on South Pottery Island, so we should be good to go. Uh, whereas we say in Indiana, cricks. Uh, there are no cricks yeah. on South Pottery Island. That's <laughs> where it was in Pennsylvania, too. Rainwine <laughs> <Exactly. Rainwater> crick. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're up somebody's crick without a paddle. Exactly. So. Yeah. So, so, so I think we'll be good to go for April. So we hope we'll see you there. Once again, thanks to all our sponsors who make this program a possibility. USAA, a big part of what we do each and every day. Thanks to them. Plylocks, Hurricane Clips, uh, they're an important part of this as well. And the South Potter Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, SPI, CVB. Again, we hope to see you there in person in April. Of course, also thanks to Black Magic and Maglite for being parts of the program as well. Tim Heller, thank you. Bill Reed, thanks again. We'll see you next week. Next Wednesday, it'll be Dr. Neil Frank talking about Atlantic hurricanes. Frank's just see him next week. We'll see you then. Thanks for joining us on Hurricane Center. Produced by the Storm Science Network and made possible by USAA, South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylux Hurricane Clips. You can find other episodes on HurricaneCenterLive.com.